your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoyed this episode and want to stay tuned for the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, and the Odyssey app. Doing so is free and does not cost you a single penny. Tonight's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts a car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. On tonight's podcast, we have a couple of topics to discuss. Of course, the main one will be reacting to some of the thoughts from the expansion draft. I'll talk about how Winnipeg fared, what I feel of their decision making, and ultimately the consequences of those decisions, whether good or ill. I'll do some analysis on Seattle's overall expansion draft stuff, including whether or not they made the right deals, whether or not they actually made any real deals, and ultimately what I think this team is going to try to do over the next couple of seasons. At the end of the show, though, I do want to give you a heads up that I am going to be talking about the Aldridge case with the Blackhawks. I know that it's a very discomforting topic, but, you know, I feel like we can't really avoid it. I'm going to give a couple of content warnings before I actually dive into it. This is one of your first warnings that's going to be at the end of the episode, um, you know, and after our second ad break, you'll you'll hear more about it. But please understand that there is a content warning for rape, sexual assault, and things of that nature. So be very aware. It's going to be a very difficult discussion. I'm going to try to limit the graphic details and keep it to the um, more basic elements. But obviously for a lot of folks, they've probably already seen the information that's going to be circulating. And uh, it's, it's, yeah. Um, But first, I, I did promise I was going to talk about the expansion draft. So I'll cover that first and kind of get that out of the way. Um, and in terms of that that sort of stuff, I think the Jets actually ended up faring okay. As was predicted by most outlets, Winnipeg ended up losing Mason Appleton. Now, what is kind of interesting is that the Jets media seemed to be putting out there that they were trying to prepare for losing Logan Stanley if Stanley was exposed, and that's why they chose to expose Dylan DeMello. I'm going to guess that, to be honest, a lot of this is bluster. I just think they wanted to protect Stanley anyways because they felt like he might be a guy that they want to value and maybe, I don't know, boost his trade value or something. I'm sure that there are people in the organization who absolutely love Logan, but in terms of actual asset management and value, I think most people understand that Stanley falls decently below Dylan DeMello in terms of current value and what he brings to the team. I think a lot of folks are also aware that Logan Stanley probably isn't, you know, this this world-beating defender down the road. I think most people know he is going to be like a third-pairing guy, and that's basically what he is for the rest of his career. It's not that there's zero value in a player like that, it's just that in terms of like a comparison between Appleton, DeMello, and uh, of course Stanley himself, he's going to fall pretty short of that. So I think in a lot of ways the Jets really made a strange decision to protect Stanley for a couple of reasons. I think the obvious one is that asset management wise, it was a gamble that the Jets didn't really need to take. I feel like Winnipeg exposed themselves to more risk than they really needed to take on. You know, if you've got DeMello protected, Logan Stanley's probably not going to get plucked, especially if you know that Mason Appleton is the one and everyone is saying you're going to lose. Everyone seems to be favoring for Seattle and Seattle themselves seem to be interested in. The Jets were trying to trade Appleton a couple days before the the roster freeze, so it's very clear that they knew that he was the guy. 
The other thing that kind of bothers me about this is that DeMello just signed a contract extension, is a very publicly outspoken guy who seems to, in a lot of ways, echo values of many of the fans. Dylan just seems like a good guy, and he seems like he's genuinely happy to be a Jet, and to suddenly get exposed in the expansion draft, you know, it's... I don't know if it's a really good reflection on the organization. I feel like you deserve to, to be protected if, in fact, you commit to the organization, you sign a good value contract, and in turn, the Jets should show a bit of good faith in protecting him because he just had a kid. He's got a family now. He wants to stay with the Jets. You know, DeMello has bounced around a lot of teams over the past couple of seasons, and finally he lands in a place where he, he gets a long-term deal, and, you know, in the first opportunity, he's exposed to Seattle. Forget his qualities as a defender, of which there are many, to be honest, just focusing on the human side of things, I, I feel like the Jets kind of did DeMello a little bit dirty. Maybe they, they felt like he wasn't going to get picked and they had already talked with him and he was comfortable with it, but if you ask me, it's just a poor reflection on the organization. I know that Stanley is the guy that you developed in-house and you want to kind of, you know, sell his merits and show that he is a core member of the team, and maybe that was their main thing is they wanted to show Stanley that he's important to them. But for a team that consistently has trouble attracting free agents, I just, I don't know how I feel about this. I feel like the Jets should have done better. I didn't like that they decided to expose Dylan. I feel like DeMello wasn't really a player that the Jets could afford to lose. They're fortunate that Mason Appleton is the guy that, you know, Seattle ended up taking. But could you imagine if the Jets had ended up losing DeMello instead? Could you imagine if Winnipeg somehow saw Seattle change its mind and took away one of their top right-handed defenders? I'm going to be frank with you, the Jets already aren't that great as it is. When DeMello went out against Montreal, the Jets completely fell apart. When he's a part of this team, and certainly playing on the top pairing more than anything, you can kind of see Winnipeg playing more competent hockey. Josh Morrissey looks more confident, looks more assured, is less of a disaster. The D pairing seem to be at least relatively balanced time on ice-wise, and Winnipeg generally isn't as bad as it is to watch under usual conditions. So this whole thing of, of exposing DeMello when I didn't really feel like it was necessary just really rubbed me the wrong way, and I have to wonder if DeMello feels at least partially upset by that too. Unless he was consulted and felt totally comfortable to a degree, you know, it's hard to say. I, I think that there are lots of conversations that a front office would have with players who get exposed, but yeah, I don't know. Just from an outside perspective, I didn't like it. I still don't. And I feel like Winnipeg, more than anything, lucked out. You know, it's, it's great that Mason Appleton got chosen, even though he is a very important player. I actually think he's a great one. But in terms of forwards, the one place that the Jets tend to have a lot of uh, prospect depth is in guys who are going to be filling in those more forechecking roles. Winnipeg has internal replacements for guys like Appleton already with the Moose. The Jets do not have an internal replacement for Dylan DeMello. The Jets need to make sure that their priorities are in the right order because going forward, they're going to have trouble attracting talent if, at the first opportunity, the guys that they extend, they somehow leave in a vulnerable position. I hope that this isn't the situation and that, you know, DeMello actually agreed with this to a degree, but it's hard to say. DeMello himself said he was thrilled to stay. That makes me happy. I like him as a person a lot. It seems like he's a really great guy. I think the most important thing is that he's still a Jet at the end of the day, and we can all be thankful for that. Now, of course, the Jets weren't the only ones to lose a player to Seattle. In just a moment, we'll take a look at what exactly Seattle did with the rest of their roster and whether or not they're actually going to be decent. But before then, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why BetOnline.ag should be the only place to do your online betting. In the wild, wild west of online bets, you need to know that there's a safe, reliable name that you can trust every single time. That's why you should look no further than BetOnline. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, NFL, UFC, MMA, and every sport in between. No matter what you're into, BetOnline has your back. 
Before that next pitch or face-off, head on over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up for bonuses, and scout all the contests for your next win. Stop sitting on the sidelines as all of your favorite teams begin their playoff quests for glory. Win as your favorite teams win. To get started, go to betonline.ag and register for a free account, and be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a matched 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that is promo code LOCKEDON at registration to receive a matched welcome bonus when you make your very first deposit at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are talking about some of the uh, the Seattle Kraken expansion draft moves, who they've chosen, whether or not this team is going to be decent. Are we looking at a Vegas 2.0? I can firmly say probably not. This team already off the bat is going to be very different in roster construction. Looking at most of their picks, I think, you know, Seattle opted for a more defensive lineup, and they didn't really take many star players. On the top player list that uh, they ended up choosing, we have guys like Yanni Gord, Vince Dunn, Brandon Tanev, um, Jordan Eberle is obviously a big one. I guess Callie Yarncroc probably is, is somewhere in that neighborhood. Certainly Jonas Donskoy is very decent. I think the biggest name on the back end that they chose aside from Dunn is going to be Mark Giordano. But after that, you know, the names start to fall off a bit. I mean, McCann is obviously good. Gord is great. Um, Giordano, even though he's on the uh, the older side, still another great player. But then you're, you know, starting to see guys like um, Gavin Bayreuther, John Quenville, Morgan Geeky. Who else? I think uh, Cole Lind, v- Vitek Vanacek, Mason Appleton, of course, Carson Torinsky. And if you're starting to sense a theme, it's that a lot of these players are very cheap. A lot of these guys are on very budget value contracts. And it's interesting. I look at this team and already I can kind of see a pattern of them trying to leave open cap space. And I've had debates with folks about this in terms of whether or not I really like the strategy. They're going to be in what, the Pacific Division? And in the Pacific, how many teams are actually going to be decent when Seattle enters this coming year? Not many. It's going to be like Vegas and the rest are just sort of a wash. There's a lot of really bad teams in the Pacific Division. You know, Calgary's not competitive. LA is still rebuilding. Vancouver is bad. Anaheim and San Jose are in their own stages of the rebuild process. So, you know, you look at Seattle and there's actually a decent chance of being in the postseason if you don't screw it up. Now, this roster as it is could maybe make the playoffs. I feel like it's going to be the kind of approach where Dave Haxtell is very conservative. And with the sorts of players that they've drafted, it actually would fit a style. I can't say, though, that, you know, you start moving beyond those rounds and you encounter a team like Colorado or something. Would this team actually succeed against them? The answer is probably not. So I feel like in a lot of ways, the upside of this roster is very limited. But I think what's most surprising is with these choices, you know, there's some great value picks like Jordan Eberle, I think is great. Vince Dunn, if they want to keep him, another great player. Yanni Gord, same thing. But the problem is, is once you get past that, like, top six or so, it really starts to fall off, and you realize that the depth players are going to have to be responsible for generating most of the team's offense, because the top lines and stuff, they'll get some goals, but generally speaking, in terms of finishing talent, this team is pretty deficient. And were it not for Vegas, this is how most expansion teams are probably expected to look. But I have to say, given all the names that were available, they still made some really puzzling choices. Taking Dennis Chalowski from the Red Wings, for instance, was very odd. Curtis McDermott from the Los Angeles Kings was weird. Taking on Brandon Tanev's contract when you had Zach Aston Reese there, also kind of strange. And maybe the most shocking thing was that they basically didn't get paid at all to take any of these contracts on. You know, they brought on a lot of players who, in my opinion, don't really make the cut, and I don't understand why you would take them on if you didn't actually get paid to, to you know, not touch some of the better players. 
And from what it sounds like, Ron Francis basically gambled on asking really high prices. I think he expected teams to start paying them because, with a flat cap being an issue for the next few years, a lot of teams need to cut salary. Instead, the plan seems to have backfired, and it seems like collectively, most of the NHL said, no thanks, we're not going to mess with that. He said that they didn't have many deals in the transaction queue, and in fact, there were virtually none involving any of the expansion moves. I don't think they actually got any picks for any of the uh, the lesser players that they chose, so when you think about it, this whole process of, of building at least some assets and stuff early on, taking on some of these players, especially those that you, um, you're you willingly taking a hit on in quality in favor of, of getting paid for, it's just sort of baffling to me. I will say that I do like some of the free agent signings that they made. On the back end, they've brought in Jamie Alexiak and, uh, of course, Adam Larson. I-, I think both of these guys are really solid additions. I like them as second-pairing defenders. Alexiak, maybe, you know, you want to be careful defensively. I feel like he might actually get exposed in a system that is less counter-based and, and less high-intensity on the offensive side of things. Larson is a pretty reliable two-way defender, somebody that you can slot on your second pairing and get pretty okay results with. He's not going to, like, blow the doors off of anything, but I think as a, a solid player who can certainly eat up minutes and stuff, you could do a lot worse. And so now looking at the Kraken's roster, they just have a lot of cap space to work with, but I think you actually have to be willing to make use of it and use it well, and I think... You know, I'm not really sure what they're going to do with it, because if you if you think about the long term, right, I don't think they're going to have a ton of really expensive free agents to resign, so they have a lot of space to work with, and maybe they chase a big Jack Eichel or something, but I think part of that would have involved them getting paid to take on some of these lesser players, and they didn't get any of those assets. So instead, it seems like Seattle's going to have to build through the draft, which is actually how most sustainable teams are built. But I also look at this and I think, you know, are there missed opportunities for where they could have been at least competitive and still accrue draft assets? And I think, yeah, probably. I feel like they could have done a lot better than they did. I feel like, you know, obviously the COVID market has changed a lot and Vegas having been a much shorter turnaround time for the expansion draft process and one that a lot of GMs weren't really familiar with. It's understandable that Vegas was able to do a lot better than the uh, the Seattle Kraken have, but I just feel like the Kraken maybe gambled on a couple of key um, like factors in this whole market and it sort of backfired. I don't think they were expecting to get this week of a return and the roster itself, some of the players that they've chosen, you know, I, I don't know, man. I don't really think you're expecting much from guys like Will Borgen, Tyler Pitlick, who just got traded for a fourth, John Quenville, Curtis McDermott, you get the idea, right? A lot of depth players, some of them may be AHL tweeners, not much to work with at the NHL level. It might not matter at the first season or so, but as the uh, the rest of the Pacific Division starts to rebuild and improve, long-term, Seattle is going to have to have really good scouting and drafting. We'll get a taste of their picks later this week. In fact, the uh, the draft starts tomorrow, so we'll see how they handle the first couple of rounds. I'm curious to know what their philosophy is. They have a smart analytics staff, but the FO itself, I'm not getting great impressions from. I'll talk about their stuff on tomorrow's episode and give a little bit more insight into some of the players that they have chosen and maybe some guys that I think could be at least targets for the Jets if the uh, Kraken want to make trades. But now is kind of where I wanted to pivot the discussion to something that I think is a very important topic, and that is the uh, the Aldrich case with the Blackhawks. And I feel like, you know, this is one that people can't really avoid. They need to be paying attention, and they need to pay attention right now. Before we go any further, though, I did want to talk about one of tonight's title sponsors at rockauto.com. There are literally thousands and thousands of vehicles out there, and it's really hard for auto parts stores to keep up stocking parts, accoutrements, and everything in between. You might stand in line for 15, 20, maybe even 30 minutes waiting for your chance to buy the part that you need, and you find out they don't even have it in stock. 
If you want to save time and money, then just go to rockauto.com instead. They're a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their easy-to-use, intuitive website allows you to sort by make, year, and model of your vehicle, and then set a price range filter so you always get the parts that you need at the prices you want. Whether you need a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement, rockauto.com is sure to have what you need in stock. And best of all, you can save anywhere from 20, 30, even 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing. So why shop anywhere else? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. Hello and welcome back to the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I did want to talk about the Blackhawk sexual assault case. I'm going to put a last content slash trigger warning here. This is going to involve discussions about rape and sexual assault and trauma. So if you are uncomfortable with that, you might want to cut off the podcast here. The discussion is not going to get into very graphic details, but we will talk about some frank topics. And I think the first and most important thing is that the details that just leaked today and, and were broken involve Aldrich actively threatening a plaintiff with uh, violence if he did not consent to sex. First off, you can't actually give consent when you're under duress, so this is actually forced rape. This is what that is. Uh, and Aldrich basically threatened to use his power and physical violence to get his way. Given the fact that he has had many sexual assault charges levied against him, you can't think that this is the only time this sort of stuff has happened. It happened to a professional athlete. Imagine some of the, the youth and, and minors that Aldrich sexually assaulted facing the same situations, and with even less power to do anything about it. What really starts to, to paint a very disturbing picture is Chicago's level of involvement with this. There were players in the Blackhawks who were apparently endorsed to be bullies and use homophobic language towards any of the victims, which helps create a, a psychological state of constant fear and a hostile work environment among, you know, the very basic negative outcomes of that. I mean, that's just the start of it, right? It is already an issue that Aldrich is present and, you know, some of the coaching staff may have been involved somehow, but it's even worse when your teammates are actively, uh, you know, engaging in the bullying and they all knew about it. It sounds like most of the team, if not everyone on that team, knew that it was happening. Aldrich was even given a positive referral to a high school after he was terminated by the Blackhawks. And they knew about this case. They all knew. Even Stan Bowman knew. Everyone knew. There's literally not a single way that they could they could really feign ignorance here. I feel like everyone who has said that they didn't really have that much knowledge of this situation is is not really telling the full truth. When it comes to major situations and scandals like this, stuff gets out. Players talk about it, staff members talk about it, employees talk about it. There's just not a way that you could really avoid discussions about this. And this is something that I think bugs me when I saw Shevel Dayoff give a, a, a statement today that was very calculated and careful, and now we know why. It's because they probably knew that this news was about to break, but Shevel Dayoff basically said he was asked about it, and that was his level of knowledge of the incident. He was working with the Chicago Wolves at the time, if I recall correctly, but... You know, when you say that you knew about it to a level of that that degree, and then you sort of cut off the comments there and say, oh, participate with the investigation, to me it leads me to, to have a, a negative interpretation. I feel like Shovel Day Off basically said he knew about it to a degree, and that was kind of where it was, and that he'll answer any questions. But beyond that, it seems like the cone of silence is still up. And I, I'm very bothered by this. I think Shovel Day Off needs to be held accountable for what exactly happened and how much he knew whether or not he should have gone to the police if he if he was told that they were. Obviously, there are situations where maybe he thought things were going to be handled with the legal processes that, you know, uh, certainly existed at the time, but maybe he was lied to by somebody in the upper management staff. I could understand if that was a situation, but either way, you know, the whole cone of silence issue and the fact that he kind of gave this odd response today 
doesn't make me feel great about it. He's not going to say anything that'll get him in trouble immediately, but I can imagine that right now the Jets are basically trying to do damage control because the more links that are drawn to this, the worse it's going to get. The Aldrich details that have leaked so far are just unbelievable. I mean, the stuff that they're talking about and, and some of the actions that are alleged to have happened, they make me actually physically ill. And in a lot of ways, I just feel like I've had, I don't know, I've had a tough time with hockey as of late. I feel like all the stories that we're hearing about the abuse issues and stuff like that, it just makes it hard to want to watch and endorse this this sport. Because structurally, culturally, and fundamentally, things have to change. I know that it's it's stuff that's happened in the past, but I'm sure that this stuff happens all over, and it's happening right now. You know, hockey management teams, fans, supporters, um, those embedded in the sport, everyone has a responsibility to do better. And Chicago is not going to be the only team guilty of this stuff. This is going to happen with a lot of other teams, and it's going to come out eventually. We need to put stuff in place, systems in place to prevent this kind of thing from happening. There needs to be training and awareness, and there needs to be a culture that endorses whistleblowing. The fear and power structure, and, and certainly the money involved, has kept a lot of voices silent, but that time has to come to an end. It is a tragedy that it took this long for the players involved in this case to get justice, but hopefully this can at least start some of the process to bring about positive change and bring some level of closure and, and justice to the people who are impacted by this. Whatever happens, I just know that I think a lot of folks are, are going to look at hockey in a very different light going forward, and they should. They should be aware that this stuff happens, and they need to understand that we cannot allow it to continue. That a number of individuals in the Blackhawks organization are still with the team that were on that team at the time in 2010, still being employed is just it's baffling to me it's crazy but maybe this time the right thing will be done for now that's all that i have to say on the matter until we know more details if ever you want to talk about it or you need to get something off your chest be sure to let me know at hl living loco and at lo underscore winnipeg jets i leave my dms open if you need to talk about something i know that this is an incredibly difficult and sensitive subject so if you want to discuss it or or have something that you want to share i'm willing to listen i may not be able to say much but you know i'm, I'm always going to try to make myself available and, and certainly be an ally to folks who need it that is going to do it for tonight's episode though before you log off don't forget to check out one of our other great podcasts locked on bets betting on the winnipeg jets doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new locked on bets podcast hosted by your boy q and handicapping expert lee sterling get daily picks blowout specials wrong team favorite picks and lee sterling's lock of the day follow the locked on bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag or wherever you get your favorite media and as always thank you for listening have a great night and go jets go